Well, we're turning in our Bibles today to the book of Habakkuk, please. The book of Habakkuk. If you find Jonah and you go a few books ahead of that, you'll find the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, please. And uh, we're going to take a few weeks to consider. We have uh, four Sundays until, well, four Sunday mornings that I will be speaking in the Lord's will until I am off. And um, we will do four studies. It'll be a wee, wee bit of a whistle-stop. Stop. If I could get my words to it, it would be good. A whistle-stop tour um, through the book of Habakkuk. Um, so four weeks in the Lord's will we'll spend in this book. And today we're going to consider in these opening verses a wavering faith. Um, I suppose if you were to give the series a title, it would be, Has God Gone Missing? Has God Gone Missing? This is the question that Habakkuk really asks at the beginning of the book. Where is God and what is he doing? And we're going to explore uh, these thoughts. There's lots of really, really good topics in the book of Habakkuk that we can explore. And let's just read these opening verses as we consider our title this morning, A Wavering Faith. We've sang, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. We've sang about Christ being our sure and steady anchor, but at times when the trials of life come, it can cause our faith to waver. And we're going to see a prophet whose faith is wavering uh, this morning. Let's read these verses together. Habakkuk, please, in the chapter 1 and the verse 1. And this is the word of the Lord. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence. And thou wilt not see it. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. There are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth, the wicked doth compass about the righteous. That therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And this is his prayer. Here comes the answer from the Lord. Here comes the voice of God speaking. Verse 5. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvellously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far and they shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind. They shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be scorned unto them. They shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend imputing this his power unto his God. And we trust the Lord. We'll bless the reading of his word to each 
of our hearts. I've told you this story before, but I think it's so appropriate. There's a story told about two boys who caused nothing but trouble for their parents, always up to mischief. They decided to take the two boys to the minister, and the minister was dealing with them for their bad behaviour. And the minister, he brought in the eldest boy, and he said to the eldest boy, uh, where is God? And he meant, where is God in your behaviour? Where is God? And the little boy sat silently and he didn't really know what to say. And the minister said for a second time, where is God? And the little boy continued to sit silently. And for a final time, the little boy was asked, where is God? And the little boy took fright and he ran out of the minister's office and he ran to find his little brother. And when he found his little brother, he said, oh boy, we are in trouble. God has gone missing and they're blaming us. You know, this really is where we find ourselves as we come to the opening of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is asking the question, where is God? And what is God doing in these days? God has gone missing. And as we spend some time with this prophet over these next few weeks, what we'll discover is that Habakkuk was concerned. He had a problem. He looked around him and he saw sin was right. He looked at the world around him and as far as he was concerned, the world was in a mess. God's people were in a mess. And he asked the question, where are you, God? Are you missing? It was a problem that had made him become very perplexed. And in these first few verses that we've read this afternoon, in verses 2 to 4, in essence, he's crying out to God and he's saying, Lord, where are you? Have you deserted us? Have you gone missing? And this is, and this is where we begin the prophet's wavering faith. Now I don't need to tell you that life is never a bed of roses and particularly the Christian life is never a bed of roses. And even though we live the life of faith and even though our faith is placed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and even though Christ is all in all and even though he is sufficient for every need in life, the life of faith is never comfortable. We, we, we have come to set up camp here in Habakkuk for a while and Habakkuk's message to the Israelites, more specifically, he was speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk, as he wrote, he was seeing the problems in the lives of God's people. And he could see that they were far from God. Well, why do these problems exist among God's people? Well, the reason why we have problems as God's people, and the reason why the Israelites had problems, because there was always, and there still is always, an active adversary. Satan, whose desire was and still is to tempt God's people to sin. And so we have these problems and Satan tempts the mind of the Christian and Satan's desire is to undermine our faith. And here in Habakkuk's case this afternoon we find a man who at first is doubting God, doubting God's love, doubting that God cares. And that he has a wavering faith. That's why we're calling this study a wavering faith. Surprisingly enough, sometimes, if we're really honest with ourselves, we slot right into Habakkuk's shoes. We have that wavering faith. But what about Habakkuk? Who is he? Is it worth even reading the book? Is it worth considering Habakkuk's message? It's good to know a little bit about who we're hearing from before we consider his words. Isn't, isn't that important? Uh, you'll be aware that this is one of the 12 minor prophets that we find in the Old Testament. 
And of course, there's five larger prophecies as well. And it's needless to say that Habakkuk and the other 11 books that are considered that are considered minor prophets, it's not due to the length of the book, or, or it's not due to its content, but it's due to the length of the book that he's called a minor prophet. The content is from the Spirit of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, who is the author of all Scripture. And the Spirit of God is something to teach us through the book of Habakkuk. When you read the book of Habakkuk, you realize that the moral and spiritual condition of the people around him isn't far from the moral and spiritual condition of the world we find ourselves living in today. When it comes to the word of God itself, it doesn't really tell us much about Habakkuk, who he was. It tells us nothing more, in fact. His name doesn't appear anywhere else in scripture. But we read in verse 1 here, listen to the words, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And what we learn about Habakkuk is that he had a burden. And in his book, he has no time to introduce himself. He's no time to give us his biography. He wants to bring the message of the burden of God to his listeners. This is a quote that I shared with you when we went through the book of Malachi as well. Alistair Bagg says this of many of the minor prophets, the word of God is so much more important than the person who delivers it. We don't know much about Habakkuk. But the word of God in Habakkuk's mind was so much more important than who he was. And you see, here's Habakkuk and his credentials were in his call and his significance was in his sermon, not who he was. There was no time for personal introductions. This man meant business with God. And dear brothers and sisters today, the message is always greater than the man. Never ever pin your hopes on a man that stands in a pulpit or some great preacher. You place your hope in the God of the Bible. Never look to a man. Never look, put a preacher in a pedestal. We are all guilty of doing it, me included. But the message of the Bible is always greater than the messenger. And we ought to remember that. Do you remember when John the Baptist, when people were asking who he was, it's recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 3, and he was being asked, are you this person, are you that person? No, and no, he kept on saying. And you know, John eventually turns around and he says, I'm a voice in the wilderness. I'm a light shining for a little while that fades away. I'm a finger that points to the Savior. He must increase, I must decrease. That's the life of the Christian. I want you to know two things about this man, Habakkuk, as we come to this first study in chapter 1. The first thing I want you to see is there's an unanswered prayer. Look at verse 2. An unanswered prayer. Oh Lord, how long shall I pray? How long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why are you showing me iniquity? Why am I being caused to look at so much grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are those that raise up strife and contention. Therefore your law is slacked. And judgment isn't even going forth. The wicked are doing whatever they want, is what he's saying. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. They're doing whatever they want. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. I want you to note that the prophet isn't just approaching the Lord casually in this matter. This matter has been a burden in his heart for a very long time. He's crying to the Lord. 
He's cried and cried about this for a long, long time. It's not that he's prayed once or twice and now, now is after a day or two he's giving up. Isn't it true that sometimes we can come to the Lord and pray things and make requests and we just want our answers straight away? Listen to the prophet's words, verse 2. How long shall I cry? In the verse, this word cry is used twice and in the original text it's two different words. According to Warren Wearsby, the first cry can be translated a call for help and the second is translated as a scream. A cry with a loud voice. A cry with a disturbed heart. Habakkuk was disturbed. And he was getting desperate. You know, he was getting, he was disturbed and he was getting desperate as he looked around him by the way God's people were living. That was causing Habakkuk distress. Not the surrounding nations, no. Not those who didn't belong to the Lord, no. He was distressed, first and foremost, about how God's people were living. I wonder, are you disturbed at times when you see the way the church is going in these days? I wonder, do you sit back and watch our churches and how the attitudes get more and more slack and laid back? And they get slack in the way the holy living is taught. I wonder, does it disturb you when the so-called when so-called churches take the name of my Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and do their own version of church, nothing like what we find in Scripture, and do it in such a liberal and hypocritical way, with preachers standing in pulpits, just mouthing out any moral dribble that they can think of that springs into their mouths, not spirit-inspired and led preaching. I wonder, does that disturb you? I wonder does it disturb you when there are many people who will even come into this very building and they will portray one person at the meetings but who they really are comes out behind closed doors in the homes. Does that disturb you? Does the standard of Christian living in these days disturb us? Does it? Do you cry out to God in distress and ask him to bring his church back on their knees? We pray for decades and maybe we think God doesn't hear and we pray that God will move in revival, that he'll save souls and maybe we ask the question a bit like Habakkuk, why aren't you moving? Why? Why doesn't God bring the United Kingdom and Ireland to its knees? Why doesn't God judge these people who aren't living right? Why doesn't God take these people that are turned against him and turn them towards him? Maybe our prayer today is, how long shall I cry, Lord? You probably have asked in your own heart on an individual level, why does God allow so and so to be ill? Why doesn't God hate? Or you've asked, why doesn't God save that person that I've prayed month after month after month for? Why? Why does God allow the world to go the way it's going if he's really God? Why is the situation I am in, whatever it is, why does it just seem to be getting worse? What is the prophet saying? He's saying, Lord, if you're good and if you're perfect, why are your people living like this? And why is the area around like this? How were they living? Well, Israel was backslidden. They had turned from God and they had forgotten God. And Israel was given over to complete idolatry in these times. What a horrible picture of Israel is painted in Habakkuk's prayer. Sin and immorality were rampant. 
And those in government were slack. And those who applied the law applied it dishonestly. And justice was nowhere to be found. What a terrible situation was found here. And Habakkuk, a man of prayer, is pouring out his heart before God. And the same thing is true today. As we look at our world, we see the same characteristics as Habakkuk's day. Verse 2, he says, there is violence. And certainly that's a watchword of our day. In verse 3 he says there's iniquity. He says there's violence again. There are those who raise up strife and contention. And I don't know how many of you are feeling today as you look at the situations around you. Maybe you look at the wars that go on in our world. Or maybe you look at the strife and the, the violence that goes on in our world. And maybe you cry out to the Lord about that. Well dear friends, dear Christian person today... What are we going to learn from the book of Habakkuk? Well, this is what I hope, that God is still on the throne. And he does remember his own. And he still answers prayer. But not as you expect. Not as you expect. You see, there was an unanswered prayer. But eventually the answer came. But it was an unexpected answer. It was an unexpected answer. For many of us, when we're asking God for things, We often pray the comfortable prayers, don't we? Lord, protect me. Lord, keep me safe as I go here. Lord, bless our family. Lord, watch over us. Lord, take care of us. Lord, do this, do that. You know, keep the wall of protection around us. Lord, don't let anything happen to us. That's the way we pray, isn't it? And don't get me wrong, the only one who can sustain and keep us safe is the Lord. So there's nothing wrong with those prayers. We must ask him to keep us safe. But we almost want to tell God the answer to our prayer, what the answer to our prayers should be at times. Almost saying, Lord, here's, here's the solution to the problem I have. Here's how I think you should answer my prayer. Well, here in our passage today, God comes to Habakkuk and gives him the most unexpected answer to his very honest prayer. Let's read the beginning of the Lord's answer in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that better and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. So what is God's answer? God says, I'm going to do something and you aren't going to believe it, even if I tell you. Well, what is it? God says, you think it's bad now, Habakkuk? Well, things are going to get a whole lot worse. Verse 6. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians. And they're going to come across, and they're going to possess the land. And exile is on its way for my people. And it was time for God, as a loving father, to chastise and punish his people for their sinful behavior. God's unexpected answer was the Chaldeans. God answers. And God's answers, perhaps as Habakkuk heard it, might have brought hope. God was going to do something. God's going to answer my prayers. He's going to come. And he's not going to revive the people of Judea. Well, he is going to bring them back to himself, but he's not going to do it by some vision. Instead, he's going to do it by judgment. 
And that was true. It was the unexpected part of God's answer was the, the way he was going to do it. But God was going to bring the people back to himself. God says, I'm going to do a work and I'm setting it into inauguration now. And it's not revival. It's judgment. I'm going to come as a father of my people, as a shepherd of my sheep. I'm going to punish them and I'm going to chasten them and I'm going to bring my sheep back into place. And God says, behold, look, he says, watch. First word in verse 5. He is saying, be utterly astounded. And that command to look, it's a plural command, which means that he wasn't just simply telling Habakkuk to look, but he was telling the whole nation of Judah, look around you. You know, the further along the Christian path you walk, the more you realize that God answers prayers at times in the most surprising ways. Isn't it true? This was certainly a surprise for Habakkuk. It wasn't that he was expecting. It wasn't what he was expecting. And all of a sudden, the prophet gets his eyes open to God's plan. And God's world plan for Judah. Listen, child of God, keep praying. God answers prayer. Not the way you expect. But he knows and he cares for your life and the history of this world. Look at what God says. He says in verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen. Some translations put it this way. Look among the nations. And Habakkuk is crying out for his own nation. And Judah, his own nation Judah. And God says, open your eyes Habakkuk. Get a world view Habakkuk. Look at the nations around you. Behold it. Perceive it. Regard it. We read regard in verse 5. It simply means weigh it up well. Look around you, Habakkuk. Look at what I'm doing in my world. Among the nations. Not one nation, but the nations. Look at the bigger picture, Habakkuk. Look at the world view. Prophet and people, take note, understand that I am God and there is none beside me. I am sovereign, I am omnipotent, and I rule the kingdoms of men. I am in control and I know what I'm doing. Can I ask you a question? Do you have tunnel vision? Tunnel vision is being able to see only what's straight ahead. Just as if we're going through a tunnel and we can only see the light at the far end. It's that your mind is so set on what's out there in front of you that you pay no attention to what's off to the side. As a child of God, do you have tunnel vision? Surely we all at times look at our own situations in our own lives or perhaps in our own communities, in our own province, and we forget that there's a world that God is working in around us. And perhaps God's not moving in the way that we long him to here in Northern Ireland in these days, and we will keep on praying because we ought to that the Lord would revive our land. But let me tell you something. My God saves. And he is saving men, women, boys and girls in their numbers all around the planet right at this very moment. And the wind of the Spirit of God is moving in places like South Korea a couple of years ago. When I was at Bible College, our principal, Dr. Robert Murdoch, went out to South Korea to speak at a conference. And when he came home and was talking to him after, and he said to me, Peter, the church out there is growing at a rapid rate. The Spirit of God is moving in South Korea. Let me tell you about a young people's youth meeting that's happening in south of Cumbria in England. Reports of young people being convicted and coming to Christ all the time. God's moving in a young people's meeting that meets on a Friday night in the south of Cumbria in England. 
The church is growing in persecuted China. The church is growing in South America, all over the world. My God is still saving and his church still grows. And do you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. They never will. And to that we cry, build your church, Lord. Get a worldview today, dear Christian. God is still on the throne. And God says to Habakkuk here in our passage, Look, I am the God who raises up nations, and I am the God who casts them down. And although my justice, the wheels of my justice, are slow as they move, they keep grinding, and one day they will catch up with all nations. Listen. The United Kingdom will be judged for the sins that they are allowed to, that are allowed to come into place. Rishi Sunak ought to listen because one day he will answer to God for the things that he brings through as Prime Minister of this land. Our politicians one day will answer to God. Sodomy, abortion, the sanctity of life being attacked by the laws of our land, they will all one day catch up with them and they will answer to God. Remember the words of Paul as he preached in Mars Hill in Athens, Acts 17. And the times of this ignorance of God, God has ignored for now, but God now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Every man and woman will give account for what they have done against our God. God will only ignore a nation for a certain amount of time and then he will judge. And there is appointed a time that every man and woman will stand before the Lord and be judged. John Newton said that he felt he wanted something better in his spiritual life at one time and so he cried to God for a deeper knowledge of God. And he cried out for a deeper understanding in his own spiritual life and he sought God that he might have a new dimension in his Christian experience. Do you know what happened? He expected some wonderful vision from God and he expected some dramatic blessing from heaven. Do you know the answer he got? Instead, he had an experience in which for months it seemed that God was a million miles away and God seemed to abandon John Newton to Satan himself. And he was tempted and he was tried beyond his understanding, the exact opposite of what he had prayed for. But you see, God had allowed Newton to go into the depths of suffering to teach him to depend entirely upon God. And then when Newton had learned his lesson, he brought him out and blessed him. What are we to take from God's word to our hearts today? What do we take away from this? Well, in the Bible, there's a basic principle. Suffering always precedes glory. You know that. A good illustration of this is a football or hockey practice. And some of you who have been involved in sport will know this. I remember back to the days of school and a little beyond that, playing hockey. And you lived for the glory of Saturday, so you did. But all the suffering and training during the week, the doing the fitness and the drills through the week to make sure that you were prepared for Saturday. And it's a basic principle in life the suff- that suffering precedes glory. No man or woman ever attained anything in life but what he suffered through, that, but what, that he suffered through some sacrificial hours to take himself or herself to that glory. And how many of you, and how many of you have ever asked God to make you suffer? Have you ever got down on your knees and said, I wonder if you said to God, I'll do what it takes. And that could mean suffering. Do what it takes to draw me closer to you, Lord. I wonder if you ever prayed that prayer. 
And it could be suffering that the Lord brings to draw you closer. Habakkuk's message was to God's people, the Israelites, that they were going to be judged and punished. How amazing it is, as is already revealed to us through God's word, why the world is the way it is today. Because God is in control of time and everything we see comes into perspective of his kingdom. We need to look at the world through the, the, the glasses of thinking about God's kingdom. The kingdom of God runs right through history. God's desire was to call out a people holy, set apart unto his name. And the problems of yesterday are understood only in the kingdom of God. And the problems of tomorrow will be understood only from the kingdom of God. And what God permits in the church and what God permits in the world is related to his kingdom. And it's going to be established. And the principle is the same. Before the glory there must be suffering. So don't stumble at world events. Everything is lining up today. Jesus is coming. And remember to ask yourself this. Whatever is happening, whatever is going on, how does it fit into God's plan of establishing his kingdom? You know something? Someday Israel are going to be glorified. Did you know that? Someday they're going to reign with Christ, who is their Messiah, aren't they? They're going to have the glory, but not without the suffering. And someday, we the church, we're going to be glorified. And the day is coming when we will meet the Lord Jesus in our glorified bodies. And yes, what a day that will be. But not before we go through the suffering in this world. You know, I love the story of Corey Ten Boom. I'm sure you've read it. Amazing story, protecting Jews from the Gestapo and then ended up in the prison camps. Her father died, her sister died in prison. Yet through all that suffering, do you know what she wrote after? My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours he weaveth steadily. Of times he weaveth sorrow. And I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this true condemn. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. You know, God's word has told us the end of the story for his people. It's in our New Testament. Satan is crushed, defeated, cast into the lake of fire, and someday this world is going to be in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the lion is going to lie down with the lamb, and the little child is going to play in the snake pit and never be bitten. And do you know what? The nations are going to go in and out and see Jesus Christ reigning on the throne of David, and Israel is going to be glorified and the church is going to be glorified and Christ is going to be glorified. We're going to be part of that. But not before those dark threads that Corey Tenbaum mentions. Why should I deserve anything that Christ ever had? It was needful for Christ to suffer before he could be glorified and so it is for us. And things are going to keep getting worse. First Timothy 3, Paul said to Timothy, Evil men shall wax what? Worse and worse in the last days. But as we continue, we look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. No need for the spirit of fear. Why? Jesus is coming. Sing the glad word. 
coming for those he redeemed by his blood, coming to reign as the glorified Lord Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming, the dead shall arise. Loved ones shall meet in a joyful surprise, caught up together to him in the skies. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming, his saints to release, coming to give the warring earth peace, sinning and sighing and sorrow shall cease. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming, the promise is true. Who are the chosen, the faithful, the few, waiting and watching, prepared for review. Jesus is coming again. Dear brothers and sisters, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. No matter what happens, he's with you. We're all called to be faithful in these last days. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep living for Christ. Just keep going. And keep living for him. I'll never forget those words that Maud Kells finished with that night she gave her testimony. This is what she said. Keep on. Keeping on. This world one day will be judged. But we the redeemed will be glorified. And what a day that will be.